Welcome to the Innovation Today podcast, where we speak with today's technology leaders about how they're innovating to stay ahead of changing industry dynamics and reaching new levels of productivity and automation. Brought to you by ServiceNow, your partner in digital transformation. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of the Innovation Today podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Bemeller, Field Innovation Officer here at ServiceNow. And today, we're excited to welcome Graham Wright, Chief Digital Officer for Manufacturing and Utilities at Fujitsu. Graham, welcome, good man. Thank you, Spencer. Uh, and it's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to today's discussion. Same. Yeah, likewise. Great to have you. So actually, today, we're, we're going to dive deeper into the topic of operational technology and explore a little bit on how manufacturers are using OT, operational technology, to drive insights and achieve operational excellence. But first, Graham, I, I kind of wanted to tell us, uh, get a little bit out of you on about your role, why this topic is of the utmost importance, maybe personally to you and also to the world right now. Yeah, sure. Uh, God, well, I, think, um, I think I'm really privileged in my role at Fujitsu at the moment, to be truthful, uh, as a CDO. It's, it's split sort of pretty well 50-50 between sort of um, external tasks and, and sort of internals, and, and that, that external is large part of my time is spent working with customers, um, you know, looking at how do we help them make better use of data and become far more data driven, which, which for me sort of means that I need to sort of like understand their business, understand where they are, yeah. you know, uh, where they sort of where they're starting from, what's important, what are the constraints and challenges and what goals are they trying to achieve. And then and then the other half is, is sort of the, the internal translation of that, which is sort of you know, talking to our tech teams and our partners and on on what our customers are trying to achieve, why uh, it is, you know, what, what it really means to them and, and how does that deliver value to them and actually what capabilities, you know, do we need to have to be able to do that? And, and then, yeah. and when, so when you look at that in terms of what's going on right at the moment um, in, in sort of our customers within manufacturing and, and to some extent within utilities, which is what some of the other areas that I have to cover, it's all about them becoming data-driven. And for so long, sort of the, the OT systems, you know, which are a vital part of their life, have been really around just controlling, you know, being the industrial control systems and they're about controlling what's happening, not actually really leveraging the data that these things create. Right. And that's and that's where, I, th I think that's the really exciting piece really now, which is, you know, people looking at how do they leverage the data that's coming off the OT systems. Yeah. Yeah, trying to trying to make some uh, understand the analytics around it, and maybe even make some predictive behaviors. Seems like there's a, a huge opportunity there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that I, I think that's super helpful. I mean, th this these last few years have been, of course, a pretty wild ride. I, I, like <laughs> we we really can't turn on the news or read an article without seeing some type of supply chain disruption, and even, and we've actually started to see this this huge shift in the workforce, right? So we've, we've kind of started to understand that uh, employees are, are demanding a certain type of, of work environment and expertise when they come in and this experience around having, having this nice touch. And, and factories, we don't necessarily always think of the factories of, of feeling like a, attracting workers in that case. 
Now, there's also been a, a fair amount of legislation around bringing back to making in America as part of these chip delays. We were dependent upon other countries. And of course, when other countries start shutting down their borders, that causes a fair amount of issues. What, what are you thinking about that? What, what's, what are you experiencing there? Um, yeah, so, so, so I was obviously seeing this as, as, as a UK person, but, but I think in general terms, we're seeing the same issues. Um, yeah. you know, over the last few years, people have had to rethink their global supply chain strategy. Um, and I think you know, that, that has a huge number of factors that are, that are, that are sort of you know, common in, in sort of what's happening around the world in terms of as you, as you rethink that supply chain, you need to be looking at, you know, how do I increase productivity and get effectively get out, you know, get get more out of the same level of resources, and that's both people and energy and natural resources. So yeah. when you look at that sort of the, the human centric element of that challenge, you know, yeah, you're trying to fight for sort of you know the same resources. How do you attract the next generation of workforce? How do you get the the right type of skills? Um, that you need into a business. Um, and that's, you know, everybody's trying to do this and, and increase profitability and increase sort of, you know, the share, market share. Um, yeah. but, uh, but actually, you know, sort of, when, when you're fighting for resources, you're really, you know, looking at how do you, um, you know, drive optimizations and, and automate so that actually the resources that you have got are being used in the best way. Um, and, and that means everybody's rushing to digitally transform at the moment. Right. Um, and you've got to do that with, with, with great care to some extent. No doubt. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a huge piece you hit on here. And it's kind of the, what we see in the realms of, yes, in manufacturing with our customers, but really all of our customers having some type of digital approach and some type of plan around automation, whether that's creating an automation center of excellence or a control tower where this stuff is is starting to be uncovered where automation opportunities or bottlenecks in the company exist and yeah. leveraging your existing employee base, ideally freeing up time for them based on finding things for robotic process, process optimization or finding things for a machine learning to start to suggest items that are workflow pieces that might be, might take the human element out of it so that human can then do more, let's call it innovative work. Absolutely, and we see that particularly so that you know, sort of people striving to increase OEE, you know, yeah. uh, in all areas, trying to identify what are the micro stops that are reducing that OEE, and and sort of how do I make sure that you know I've got fewer interventions by people um, to sort of to, to, to fix it. I, I was in a factory not so long ago, and and, and really interesting because they were actually designing their own. Uh, Tool, tooling sort of for the factory floor okay. um, and whilst they've done a certain amount of work on 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 changing efficiencies so they could increase the OE of, of the new piece of equipment what well, mm -hmm. there was still a challenge which was you know every now and again they have a, a stop that, where they'd have to go and clean stuff out and it's it's sort of one of those things where actually if you're designing your own equipment, equipment um, which is great yeah how can you design that equipment such that you don't need to actually stop it to, to, to clean to clean out sort of you know fragments of metal um, make it self-cleaning they've got they've got a a, a a a a vacuum cleaner by the side that was there to just take out and so if you design your own to build that in you know so um yeah just be creative yeah have have a robot with a vacuum arm come in automatically as part Absolutely. of the planned maintenance cycle <laughs> yeah 
I think there's another another thing that we also see here, and, and let me know if you're seeing this as well. Is as this as these factories grow, like we've we've always had factories kind of all over the world, but they're they kind of operate in silos, very much like big departments of organizations operate. So maybe one factory has the efficiencies that you just talked about. On ah, I have automated a, a vacuum to come in as part of cleaning out this metal process where before it had a human, but the other twenty across the globe. I've not experienced that that level of automation and efficiency yet because they're still very much in those silos. So do you have any suggestions around how we, you help your customers scale a, a good or great model in one factory to others across other factories? Yeah, it's an interesting challenge actually, because because um, sort of at, 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 at sort of the macro level of a factory, people are always saying, oh, well, our factory is different. Uh, yeah, and, a factory sort of, you know, in one part of the world will be different from a factory in another part of the world, although they're producing the same thing. Um, and, and that's probably because of, you know, revisions and, and, and sort of, uh, 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 processes, etc. So, yeah. and it's down to, it's, to be good, it's down to people as well. So, um, and, and timing of investment. But I think um, when you look at it at the more micro level, which is actually there are components that are that are the same across the business. Mm -hmm. It then becomes really important to be able to to understand the in, the the more detailed performance of those individual component blocks within the factory. Um, and so, you know, exposing, you know, identifying where they are the same, whether they're using the, the, the same sort of components, the same processes. Um, and, and being able to compare the data from that uh, becomes really important. So, so to some extent, it's all about getting the data and making it visible. Um, you know, and, and I think it was Peter Drucker that said, if you, you, know, you, can't, you can't manage what you can't measure. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm very much a believer in that. Um, but, but of course, as you expose that, the, the, the data from these, from these sort of industrial control systems from the O2, yeah, you need to do that with great care. Um, yeah. And I do think that, you know, sort of the other part of the silo question is, is people like to keep the, 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 those, those systems within their own separate silo, thinking that there's a, the, the, the mythical air gap, you know, sort of, but as we know, you know, ever since Stutnik's hit, sort of, um, I'm trying to think what it is now, it must be about 15 years ago now, um, that, that actually the air gap doesn't really exist. So, so you, yes, you've got to be, you've got to protect um, these systems, but you can't. Yet you've got to make sure that the data is coming out to be able to manage it and actually understand the best practice that's happening in one factory, and and be able to replicate that to another. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess without getting too technically into the weeds as to what platforms and, and solutions you suggest, how, like process-wise, how would a customer start to go about doing that? I think, so, so what we've been saying um, certainly in, in recent years um, is people, people that, I mean, they're all starting from different positions. Yeah? Of course. Uh, everybody, everybody and, 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 and that's, you know, and start for different reasons as well in this area. Sometimes it's about, you know, um, technology that's gone sort of obsolete, and so they're looking at that. Sometimes it's about a, a new builder doing a sort of new product introduction. Um, so they're all starting for different 
some people have got almost a crisis situation, which is they're seeing that actually they're yeah, maybe the energy costs are going up and they're, they're actually you know, the, the affordability and or competitiveness of the product that they've got uh, it, it means that they're losing market share. So they suddenly need to re engineer how they do things. Yeah. So everybody's starting from a different position, which 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 is fine. But what we, we are seeing is that. Um, within that sort of getting, being able to understand what's happening, being able to get the data from their OT systems, a lot of organisations don't actually know what's out there because it's been installed by the sort of the factory, the factory managers, and the and the sort of the OT teams. And so, what they're doing is the first thing they're doing is it's almost doing a discovery of what's there now. Yeah. Uh, that becomes really difficult if you're going to do that manually. So, so there are tools that are out there that, that we use to help sort of discover the, discover what's out there, discover what assets are out there, discover whether it's in the, what state it's in, um, and that starts to take you on that journey about I now know what data might be available, where it will be available, and where it's going to be different from one factory to the next. Mm. Um, but, but, you know, you've got to do that in a way that factories change all the time. Uh, I was with another sort of uh, factory, well, uh, a wine bottling plant, actually, which is not a bad place to go, apart from it. it I can always kind of describe it is they, they, they smell a little bit, every factory smells a bit different, but this one sort of smells like a, like somebody had a party about a week ago. In it, so, um, <laughs> but it's really, really quite interesting because, because, yeah, you just look at how that place has changed over the last couple of years, and they've they've built a uh, a wind turbine, uh, which is uh -huh. providing them with their energy. So, yeah, and they're feeding energy back to their spare energy back onto the grid. So it's really sort of you know they're, they're sort of given the price the cost of energy in the way that's happening. You know, and they're sort of impervious to that. So that's really built sort of resilience into their business. But they're also doing three D printing of their spare parts now, so that they uh -huh. yeah, they don't. Their factory shuts down for, for you know, fewer times. They've always got spare parts on hand, because, and, they can, and if, if they're not on hand, they can print them sort of reasonably quickly. So, you know, they, they're also changing the way that they deal with the bags of wine. They get these bags of wine that comes in uh, twenty foot sort of containers, mm -hmm. and uh, it basically it's the biggest party bag of wine you've ever seen. I think it's twenty five thousand liters, uh, and they're working out how to. <laughs> They're working out how to get every last you know liter out of that bag, um, and, and these things change over time. So, so when you do, you know, a factory isn't something that's 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 built and stable. It changes over time. So you really need to be able to continuously understand and discover what is changing and whether that's a, a, you know an approved change. So I think that some of the sort of the, the best practice processes that we've had within. The sort of like on the IT side of the business, and now sort of starting to come into the OT side, which is how do you deal with change within a factory and still, you know, enable it to keep the, get the right data out there and make sure that you're actually secure. Right. Yeah, that you hit on so many good points. That I, I want to highlight one that really strikes home for me. It kind of reminds me of the early days of of ServiceNow when we started going out there in a discovery notion to just show customers what they had in the tech, in the IT world. I mean, same thing goes, I think now in branching into the operational technology world, we have an understanding of maybe a few architecture diagrams that have been pieced together, but having that reoccurring check-in to ensure that that lay of the land is 
the same is super important because like you said, that man, the manufacturing floor changes all the time. So it, it can't just be one single diagram that we sign off on once a quarter. It's gotta be a, a, a reoccurring process to, to scan the land yeah. and get an yeah, idea of how it is. That's right. Yeah it, needs to, yeah, it needs to be a living and breathing thing. And, and, and just like just like IT, you know, knowing that actually um, I've seen a new PLC or a new RTU that's come onto, on, onto the onto the factory floor, was that supposed to happen? You know, um, yeah. But, yeah what, what state is it in? Um, uh, yeah, but I mean, and, and I have some disasters, what real war stories from, from, from different organisations that are dealing with, you know, have got really old equipment out there. And then you go in and, and you do a discovery and you'll find all sorts of uh, horrors to be truthful and, 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 and levels of risk and exposure that they're running that they never knew. <laughs> yeah, something that's been on the floor for 10, 15 years that obviously the person has left the, left the department yeah. <laughs> and it's still running out there. But now that now if it's has access or an open port to the Internet, that's a security threat, right? And that's yeah, a risk well, to be able yeah, well, it's being controlled by a, a, a legacy sort of PC that's still, uh, I won't name names, but sort of running things like, I've seen them running uh, even back to Windows 311. Um, oh, come on. Yeah, no, seriously. Uh, but but definitely, 90, you know, Windows 95 and, and beyond. So, oh, my uh, gosh. Um, <laughs> but these, these things, they, they get set up by uh, under a budget for, for the factory sort of construction and operations, but they don't, tend to then be looked after by the IT function. So they just sit there and, and, and become more and more of a, of a risk. So yeah. really interesting do, doing discovery within a, within factories. We can imagine some, some uncovering of some ugly beasts under yeah. the covers there. Yeah. You, I, it, prior to our, our call here, we got the, we had the pleasure of, of chatting and having a little conversation. You said something that really struck me around network euphoria. So I think it actually resonates really well with what we're talking about here on creating this blueprint and understanding of, of your factories to get this network euphoria so that you're informed to then make smart decisions. Can you give us a little bit more, a probe down, a, just a level deeper on, on network euphoria's importance or blueprinting's importance? Yes, uh, so, so, so I think blueprinting is ultimately, probably, yeah, almost one of the first things you need to do in a way. Uh, and, and, and in essence, um, it's about sort of having a vision and a, and a roadmap of what what needs to be done from a technology, from a people, from a process, from an organisational, and even sort of the business changes that need to be put in place to achieve the desired outcomes and the, and the sort of the benefits that you're driving. Um, I'll go back a, number, a good few years because uh, to, to the days when I used to work in uh, PwC, um, yeah. and I always remember the partner I worked for sort of uh, said, "Always start with the end in mind." Yeah. And what he meant by that was understand what that final report is that you're going to put into to the exec, and and what are the what are the data points that's going to help them make the decisions that they need to make. Yeah. Because yeah. actually, if you don't focus on what that end goal is, you might well start sort of, you know, start collecting information that has absolutely no relevance to that end decision, yeah, or the end outcome that you're after. And so, and this is almost sort of you know, in today's world, a lot of people start collecting data because they can. They don't necessarily collect the data that they should. 
yeah? yeah. And so it's really, really important to have that, you know, model that shows this is the journey that I'm going to go on and uh, and how I'm going to, you know, decrease my costs, increase, you know, make my business more attractive to the next generation workforce, increase my market share, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, become more operationally efficient and effective, you know. So that that having that journey, it's not just about installing a piece of software and the benefits will materialize. Mm. It's about what other changes do I need to 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 think about and, and, and actually deliver on to actually release those benefits and to, to trigger those benefits. Um, and I think for so many years, and I'm going to use a phrase which is quite, um, which is I, I've seen in the last few years people going on, on on sort of you know digital transformation journeys and running so many proof of concepts or MVPs. Yeah. In fact, I, I've seen I've seen more pilots than Heathrow has. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, so many things don't. So many of those pilots don't take off. Yeah. Brilliant. And it's a little bit like the crossing the chasm. It's sort of like we've done this great MVP or a great pilot, but actually, what else did I need to do to actually deliver on the benefits? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and how do I actually get it to scale up? And I think that's that's the big challenge, which is it's not just delivering a pilot. It's it's actually what do I need to do to get it operational, to to make it supportable, to actually deliver the benefits, and to actually get buy-in from from the people and the staff. Um, to make it something that actually works and delivers on those end goals, and that's and that that's the big challenge I think that everybody has at the moment, and, and why the blueprint is so critical because it helps you map out everything that you do need to do. Yeah. To get to that end point. Yeah, and 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 even further on that, I mean, I'm reminded of my earlier days of at ServiceNow as a solution consultant. Defining the success criteria in these pilots is so pivotal. <laughs> Because yeah, we can do we can do all that, and you're alluding to this too. Like we can do all this great work, sure, but if we don't understand what we're driving towards on on an outcome or what we're looking to get out of this new software, new factory, you know, plug in whatever you you want to plug in there, then then it we've just done a bunch of work without deciding what the benefit is at the end, <laughs> and, and, and yeah. getting some understanding around that is super important to agree agree upon for both for all parties involved in the beginning. Yeah, and, and you might end up with a great a, a great sort of a, a great concept, but it just goes into the hopper of great ideas, right. you know, and, and it stalls because there's there's other there's another three, four, ten, twenty, hundred great ideas that, yeah. that have got potentially show greater potential or greater benefit. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. blueprinting being being extremely important at the at the foundation of that. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Now, it's just to, to pivot slightly here and expand upon where we are, well, we're, we're approaching 2023, as, as most of us see on our calendars here. Where do you, where do you see manufacturing going next? What's, what's top of mind for customers? How can you do more with the same of what you have, which is what all our customers are probably being asked to do in a time that's getting a little bit more stringent upon budgets and spending money, capital, talent, equipment, all this, all this stuff. Where, where do you kind of see manufacturing starting to expand into, yes, next year, but maybe even three to five years out? Cool. Uh, Big one. I, 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 wish I, could, I wish I could predict the future because I would probably be uh, in a different business. I'd probably be on the stock market. But anyway, <laughs> uh, um, I, I think um, in terms of priorities that we're seeing, 
um, in terms of what's, what's top of mind for, for execs at the moment. I think um, cybersecurity is probably we did we did a study and, and I think it it was out of the ten top sort of you know top areas uh, cyber in one form or another was was in eight of the top ten which was wow. which was quite okay. shocking fairly you know you would normally expect process improvement or or something like that but cyber seems to be the the one that's uh, keeping everybody awake and I think you know the the, the events of the last 12 months, if not two years, has, has, has sort of increased that, um, sure. you know, and, and we're seeing sort of, you know, um, yes, sort of like the, 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 it's the number, manufacturing and utilities in particular is probably the top of the list of any sort of um, ATP, so advanced persistent threat at the moment. It's, they are the ones that everybody's going after um, just because of sort of macro factors within the world. So, so that's really quite interesting. And I think when you look at it from where are people starting from, um, you know, you look at what Gartner were talking about, and 90% in that journey from sort of awareness to sort of, you know, optimized as a, as a maturity model. Um, 90% of people are in that sort of phase from, in terms of cyber, from the awareness through to firefighting, which so people are in good company, you know, sort of, but, but this is a big issue. So, so that's, I think that's the, that's the key one. But it's also, um, you know, it's also fundamental, as I said, in terms of getting the foundations right. Cyber is probably the, the key foundation block if you're going on some sort of digital transformation journey. Mm. So I think... You know, for, for me, the next, at least the next 12 months, you know, we're seeing certainly the CISOs in, in organisations being given the sort of the, the mantle to, 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 to cover off the OT security as well, and which I think is interesting because IT and OT don't tend to talk to each other um, uh, as silos within an organisation. And to some extent, for good, for good reason, you know, so the security within within IT tends to be about data loss prevention and, and security in OT is more about sort of threat to life, um, you know, and, and threat to operations and assets. So so fundamentally slightly different uh, objective that they have. Um, well, actually, real quick on that, do you see a benefit between blending the two? Um, I, I do in some ways. I, I think okay. you've got to be careful, but I think from from certainly from uh, and this, this will be music to sort of service now certain from a service management perspective i think it has has matured so much with sort of you know itsm yeah um and gone way beyond where ot is um and i think that's cross fertilization of bringing the, the rigor and the processes from the it world around Sort of service management, particularly around sort of change and, and sort of uh, change management, etc., and also just you know, having a, a, a CMDB of what are your OT assets. Um, it's probably way beyond what most organisations have at the moment. So, so I think certainly from that perspective, I think when it comes to things like incident management, um, there are connection points. But incident management and and and, and response is definitely slightly different in, in the OT world. Um, so so the process, some of the processes are the same, but they, they the content, if that yeah. makes sense. It does. 
Yeah, and, and and it goes to further the points that you've already hit on of awareness, blueprinting, network, understanding what is out there. I mean, that's I think that's the success and the the jump that you've seen in ITSM or IT in general over the past decade or so is just getting an understanding, getting an encyclopedia that's refreshing on a regular basis of how's the health of my network, what is relating, what's talking to what, and and if a service yeah. goes down upstream. What are the under, what's the underlying infrastructure pieces that rely on it? So now I'm I'm aware I can uh, I can update the service owner. I have a plan to go around and fix it. Like it, there's just so many things that you can structure once you have that that first level base, as as you said with Gardner on the ninety percent of just awareness, yeah. understanding what's out there. Yeah, I, I think that's so true. And I think you know, and, and actually, but that creates yeah, that creates a new set of skills and jobs for people that actually I think are potentially really exciting for the sector. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, sort of it, those sorts of things can could really excite the next generation workforce. Actually, you know, I'm going to I'm going to use my sort of you know my my, my intellectual skills and and whatever to 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 help the business as much as just sort of you know actually I can you know I can feed this latest machine with a piece of with a piece of metal. Yeah, it's 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 using like you said the intellectual skills of of understanding what the pro what the people process is today, but using your brain to convert it into a, a digitized workflow process Absolutely. for tomorrow that doesn't just live inside one person's one person's brain for example absolutely yeah yeah well this is i mean this has been so much fun graham and i guess one one final question for you where do listeners start so you, you said earlier 90 percent are are standing in this awareness phase or, or converting from firefighting <laughs> to awareness what's a good What's a starting template for our customers out there that maybe have siloed uh, factories still and are maybe dealing with this great resignation of, of potentially the risk of losing employees and, and just trying to get to a level of blueprinting or network euphoria? Where do I go? Where do I start? So, I mean, as I said, everybody's starting from a different position in terms of where they are. Um, and I think there's, 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 as I might have already said, that there's a number of drivers that might push people into certain starting points, uh, whether that's a technology refresh, yep. whether that's regulations, uh, whether it's crisis moments, etc., cetera, uh, or, or, or new product sort of introductions. They're all different starting points. But, you know, I think the blueprinting pace from me says, actually start to think about what you're trying to achieve. And what things you need to do, and what's going to contribute to help you get there. Mm. That gives you a that might give you a, a list of ten things that you could start with. Um, to some extent, I'm not sure that it matters which one you do first. You know, there may be there may be some dependencies, um, but actually making a start is key. And, and sometimes I you know we see so many organisations go into analysis paralysis. You know, and sort of go actually which one's going to be deliver the best. You know, is, is going to deliver the the, the the highest level of value for the lowest level of risk and the lowest level of, of, of the investment. And, yeah. and and you might not have all the information to actually answer that. So 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 picking Probably something <laughs> picking something yeah, picking something and starting there is good. Um, we, where we're seeing people start at the moment is definitely on the on the discovery phase, making it making things visible. Yeah. And that's both in terms of data both in terms of the actual sort of assets that they've got they their sort of ot assets etc um, in terms of being able to understand how things are connected and how they actually 
contribute to the actual output and the productivity of the battery. So that discovery and visibility piece is, is really key in my book. Um, and then starting to understand what control you've got over that. And that might be the, you know, making sure you've got the right processes, sort of like both, both operationally, but also from a sort of the, a technology side in terms of how you manage your technology and how you manage manage the data that's coming off, off, off those things and how you manage the security of those things. So I think, you know, that, that's where I would start. I would start with some sort of visibility because that gives you the data to be able to make that next informed decision. Yeah. And, and, and just start, right? And start, and start, start. Somewhere. if it's just yeah. a factory, start understanding the data and your infrastructure out in that one factory. Yeah. Then you scale it, rinse and repeat once you've agreed upon the, the success criteria for what, what great looks like. Absolutely, yeah. And, 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 and defining as a, defining those, those, those end, not just the end outcomes on the blueprint, but actually those lead indicators that are gonna tell you that you're on the right journey, yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Graham. Any closing remarks for the team to learn more about you out there or the, the audience learn more? I think uh, to me, it, it's you know, sort of, Keeping, a, keeping an eye on, on, on what's happening in the world right at this moment, you know, and uh, certainly the, the, the sort of the news I see every day uh, about what, you know, how people are collecting more data, how, and particularly how that data gets used well, and to some extent mis misused, uh, is probably, you know, um, is really important at the moment for me, and and, and becoming that data-driven organisation to attract that next set of talent. That's that's what's really important. You know, we're all fighting for talent. You know, whether it's in our, our sector, you know, or, or or in manufacturing, or in my my other sort of sectors that I look after, sort of the utilities. They're all fighting for the same talent at the moment. Let's make work great and interesting and easy. Yeah. I love it. Let's make the world of work work better. <laughs> Let's make work work better. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much today, Graham. It's it's been awesome to peer inside your brain and learn about all the expertise of of the nonstop of experience that you've had. Thank you so much for your time, and thanks to the audience out there to learn more about what what you heard here today and how Fujitsu and ServiceNow are solving some of these critical workforce issues in, in manufacturing and beyond. You can visit servicenow.com forward slash manufacturing. You can actually look up and go to the ServiceNow store and type in Fujitsu to understand the solutions that we've built together. And you can jump into the community at community.servicenow.com to learn from the experts in your field and the partners and the customers that are having these conversations on, on how they're changing the manufacturing floor. Thank you so much again, Graham. Have a great rest of your day and a great weekend ahead. And we look forward to chatting with you on the next one. Thank you. See you, man.